Hello and welcome to this episode of Move, Breathe, Live with me, Wibbs Coulson, or my, sometimes my wife, Jenny Wren. Just a quick note to say that throughout this episode, myself and my guests sometimes do get a little bit potty-mouthed. There is the occasional profanity. So if you find that right now you need to listen through headphones, if you've got kids around or something else, then it might be an idea to do so or come back later to this episode. I hope you enjoy the episode and will let me know what you think. I look forward to see, uh, seeing you on the other side. Today's sponsors of the podcast are Bamboo Clothing. They're a clothing company who aim to bring environmentally sustainable products to a market of continued fast throwaway fashion. They are working towards a zero carbon footprint by the year 2030, but also aiming to address every impact they have on the planet from ensuring the entire supply chain they use from the growers to the seamstresses and seamers i think that must be what they were called get fair pay and are treated with dignity all the way to having a zero waste going to landfills zero pollution and zero wasted water bamboo offer both men and women's active wear and casual daily clothes that are so damn soft and comfortable it's not even funny Currently, I'm sitting here wearing a pair of bamboo boxer shorts, which are the most comfortable boxer shorts in the world, a pair of bamboo jeans, and one of their jumpers. I can honestly say, I am comfortable. <laughs> Literally everything you could ever want clothing-wise, they basically sell. And as someone who has pretty much spent the last 18 months wearing solely bamboo gear, I should also say I am wearing bamboo socks. I cannot recommend them highly enough. If you go to the checkout and use the code WIBS15, you'll get a 15% off your order. They also offer free delivery on orders over £50. And there is a free returns and exchange policy too. So go get some gear. Get it on. Get on your mat. Tag me in your Insta post along with bamboo. And use the hashtag MyBandKit. So remember, WIBS15 for 15% off. The second sponsor of today's podcast is Mandukya. Mandukya make the Rolls Royce of yoga mats, the Mandukya Pro. I've been using a Pro for the last 13 years now, and I can honestly say I would never want to have another mat. I've tried other friends' mats, but they've never felt as good or as comfortable to be on as the Pro. So like I say, if you're going to buy a mat, I can highly recommend the Manduka Pro. It's one of the best investments you'll ever make. It will see out just about any other mat you can buy. And that's coming from a yoga teacher of eight years who has seen many a student go through a number of mats in that time before purchasing a Manduka. They do come also with a lifetime guarantee, which is also another big bonus. You can go use the code WIBSYOGA, W-I-B-B-S-Y-O-G-A, to get a 10% discount. This code also gives a 15% of the cut to me as a yoga teacher. So by purchasing a mat or anything else on their website, you can support environmentally friendlier yoga mats and also me at the same time. So remember that's WIBSYOGA for that 10% discount. Now, on to today's episode. Hope you enjoy it. 
Good morning, everybody. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, whatever time of day it is that you're tuning into this episode. Back again today with another episode for you. Today, I'm super, super stoked to introduce my friend, uh, Emily Hightower. Emily is what well, she used to call herself a resilience coach. She's a yoga teacher. She works with Shift Adapt, who if you don't follow or you don't check out, you really should. Their links will be in the bio. Um, we get into a whole bunch of stuff, all kind of breath, a little bit of trauma, a little bit of kind of trauma, not a huge amount, but all around, I guess, resilience, using our breath uh, in situations and how that can give us back a little bit of control, the ideas around stress, the ideas. We got into a whole bunch of chat about hyperventilation and it's very kind of fashionable these days on Instagram and the like to do be doing Wim Hof or kind of holotropic breathing or whatever variation you want to call it. Um, so yeah, this is, um, this is a fun one. I really loved it. It was, Emily is the sweetest, the loveliest, and just one of the coolest people I know. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Um, let me know what you think. Leave your comments below. Please do subscribe rate and review this podcast um it really really does help to the 55 of you who have already done it thank you so much um if you are just listening to this for the first time please do go and give us a, a rate a, a review a written review is really helpful too please um if you don't mind and please subscribe and share it around if you enjoyed the episode uh share it with someone who you think might find it useful anyway on with today's episode um i'll leave it to uh, to you to enjoy cheers guys have a great day and we are a go so welcome back guys it's uh episode number who knows i haven't decided what the numbers are but um i'm back for another one so today i am super stoked and excited to uh chat to i'm gonna say my friend uh emily hightower who i've been chatting to for probably about a year now probably about a year on and off yeah. via instagram and um i'm just gonna throw it over to her to introduce herself and then we can we can dive in a bit deeper from there so uh thanks for so much for doing this emily yeah webs i'm so honored to get to be part of this any chance to connect to you i feel like we're such kindred spirits and uh amazing to find you through the instagram world the guy Actually, the best thing for instagram giant dogs and vans and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um so you know your whole background then what how obviously you are I mean what would you class yourself as these days a yoga teacher and a breathwork coach or what what would you say your title would you I mean it's always difficult I know but it's my problem it is it, like I was calling myself a resilience coach for mm -hmm. a while uh and then you know the anti-fragile movement came out and I I dug it I understood that but Really what I do coach people to do is tap into their own physiology to use intrinsic skills uh, to manage their own state and mindset and life. So I've studied all kinds of different um, processes in the body that people can engage with and participate with um, to change how their life turns out, you know? Um, yeah, so breath work, nutrition, somatic movement, yoga and all a lot of trauma informed 
healing or, or resilience informed would be a more positive spin. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely want to dive into that at some point. Um, looks like Douglas might go to bed in a minute. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, obviously well, I reckon we'll, st- I, I want to kind of dive into, you mentioned there about helping people use their physiology to perhaps understand their situations, their state, as you kind of said, which I want to dive into in a minute. Um, and we, I'd, I'd kind of like to get in some of the weeds on some of that stuff as well. But yeah. just before we do that, like, how did your, like, I guess, how did your journey start? Obviously, I remember you, I've heard, I've heard you kind of say, maybe on a podcast, or I think you were chatting to Brian McKenzie about it, but you were saying that you started your yoga practice and you were more like a Ashtanga side of things. I was, yeah. And then, my teacher studied in Mysore with Batabi Joyce and was like mm-hmm. one of the original kind of melding it into vinyasa but um that yoga for me started when I was 15 or 16 when I was going through a lot of trauma in my own personal life and it was a place that I discovered um freedom from the noise in my head being a real at-risk teen um it was I was self-conscious I didn't understand the instructions I, I took them personally like I was doing something wrong and then all of a sudden something clicked and I felt like oh I'm actually in my body instead of in my head. And it's not like I took it from that age forward. I dropped the ball on it for a while, Um, but there was a seed planted Um, in my twenties. I explored mountain medicine. I went into ambulance work for five years. That was my kind of medical background. It's limited, but it exposed me a lot to the human body's Um, capacities to deal with acute trauma and the mindset involved with acute pain and trauma. Um, And then in the summers, I would cruise off and river guide all over the place and teach people how to hold their breath. Honestly, you Canadians, I'm I'm sure I've said, but I spent three winters in Canada, um, in BC, and I've got numerous friends who their life is basically winter either ski school teaching or you know mountain sort of um ski patrol and then in the wind in the summer they just do what you did and they go kayaking slash whitewater rafting and got guide that kind of stuff and it's like oh, yeah well you know you, I'm you canadians have it rough i'm a u.s girl i'm oh, I of course you are sorry of course you are colorado i don't know what That's i'm saying i take that as a compliment i lived in red mountain <laughs> british columbia for a winter and i met a lot of those kids that man they have it wired they actually would go tree planting. Yes. Yeah. That's hard work, right? They'd make a bucket of cash. Yeah. Then get um, fired because it's seasonal and they yeah. plant unemployment and go make cash money while they skied. Yeah. Blissful resorts. So I'm on, I'm on to their jam, but um, yeah, man, I'm it's the way, it's the way life should be. <laughs> yeah. Um, nice. And so, um, you know, with your, I guess you're playing around with, with yoga and stuff. Did you, and I, and I know it's so, especially in this day and age of yoga, obviously, you know, I've been teaching now for seven odd years and playing around for 15, 16 odd years with it. But, um, you know, it's very much like a physical practice, which is all kind of, it's all good. And that's a really, it, it has an amazing benefit, but then we are both now looking at the world very like through a very strong kind of breath centric 
vision did you like did you practice much pranayamas but obviously i know that you know an ashtanga background doesn't necessarily dive into a lot of pranayama outside of perhaps just like a strong ajayi um but did you did was there seeds planted in that which kind of led you or, or was it just the quietening of the brain of your mind then allowed you to find some space to then explore these other bits or what led you oh, into the class? Such a journey. That's a great question. My teacher, Deborah Cohen, um, had been teaching for 30 plus years when I mm. started working with her. That might be an exaggeration, at least 25 years at that time. And so, yes, she had an Ashtanga background. She lived and studied with Batavi Joyce in Mysore, but she also, in around 2001, handed me this pranayama torch. We studied at her Halikai retreat in Hawaii and her style resonated with me because she and her husband were avid outdoors people. He was a Patagonia photographer who would get sent all over the world with a bucket of clothes and he would, you know, bring Deborah and their single only child daughter with them to Nepal, to Peru, to Hawaii, to Colorado. So she would do these kind of deep dive yoga retreats while he was photographing people in Patagonia clothes. Remember getting those catalogs and you would yeah. like in the eighties and nineties, they were, there was no yeah. internet like this, you know, that was where we got our graphic. Um, yes, totally. Mountain porn. So <laughs> <laughs> long story short, Deborah had a lot of rich pranayama training outside of her original Ashtanga stuff. Nice. And when she, me some of the practices that I've kind of evolved in my work um it was given with this deep understanding that like this is playing with people's nervous systems mm-hmm. and you need to understand how it works in your body first before you teach it so love that that love helped that. me Re- really lovely teacher um and I was able through her guidance and my own body's guidance to unravel decades of buried trauma um, with the support of not only breath, but her anchoring it in a, in a way that I could actually transmute. Um, and that's ongoing, right? It's not a yeah, linear yeah. path. No. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of the roots. And then from there, my yoga just evolved into wanting to share it with people who could use it. Yeah. I love that. Like we said, I think that's something which you know, I've been asked by numerous people these days to, you know, when you're going to do a training, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I always try and say to them, like, well, for one, you need to like do this yourself. I mean, it's all very, you know, it's all very well coming and doing my classes, but I actually want you to, if you, if you were to do a training, you've got to have like a practice where you put in this stuff in your own way, in your own time, you feel it and experience it. And I think what she, you know, she said is playing with people's nervous systems is, so good like that's such a an un i think a misunderstood idea of like breath and and even physical practice do you know what i mean mm-hmm. I, there's definitely a, a misunderstanding of the amount of people who think you do a yoga practice and you can't hurt yourself because it's yoga and right. you know yeah. and and you're kind of like well if you're doing a really strong physical practice you're you know, expecting an awful lot of your body's nervous systems to be able to respond to what you're giving it. And if you are not in a good place that day or that week or whatever, you're, you know, you're going to be fucking with your nervous system and like, it's going to 
bite back and not let you do something and that's when it's kind of the injuries happen I guess yeah some of them yeah. are psychological yeah absolutely and those edges are are everybody's to play with you know it's I I love that kind of torch metaphor because it's really handing the light over to somebody else to say I don't know what's best for you I'm not here to fix you I'm not here to heal you this is what I currently understand about mm-hmm breath work, the human nervous system, the body, this particular lineage of practice. Here's some tools to get you started. Come back and tell me what you learn. Like I have learned so much more from the people that I've shared these practices with than from my own body. Even Mm -hmm. it's like, that's the gift. And yeah. And your practice just really inspires me watching you share it so well, you know, so selflessly, I love how you and Jen both just like put it out there, which has been really new for me to do. I'm much more private in my teaching until it's, working here with Shift. It's a, yeah, it's a, it is a funny one. I mean, I guess, you know, I've kind of always been fortunate that I'm one of those kind of extroverted, slightly cocky bastards, <laughs> but, um, but it's, you know, the more I've kind of done it, the more I've kind of realized that actually the, this, the world of social media is a very weird one. And if there's one thing we can actually give to people is, is what I feel we should be doing is like what I learn from my own practice in my own body is perhaps it might help inspire. I'm going to say inspire. That might be a strong word, but inspire someone to explore their own edges and their own understandings of their own body. And perhaps some of those words, those videos, those bits might might set a plant a seed for them to um to dive off of i guess but it totally does um, and it comes across that way it's very authentic and uh, honest and raw and real and i definitely think jen's got that i think i mean jen and i were chatting and you know i'm sure she's not going to mind because she puts it all on social media anyway but um (laughs) you know i think it's pretty amazing like jen's Jen's journey of like even from since she's been working with you of unraveling and actually being really open and honest with it and the amount of people who respond to that because I don't think people are used to people being so open honest raw about their feelings their emotions their fears traumas whatever else and how they how they are using a practice to work through it Mm -hmm. I think I think that's actually one of the best things and I you know I kind of tell Jen I'm I'm, I'm almost quite jealous I'm not jealous of you know she's been through what she has but her journey of how she's doing it is amazing and it's such a kind of inspiration to to see people respond so deeply to it and actually kind of yeah. um yeah I that's pretty amazing that well she's again authentic and warm and honest and yeah. raw and it's um it's a beautiful opportunity to connect the dots yeah. and let the rest fall away absolutely yeah exactly um so with this as we kind of chatting nervous systems and and whatever else now i don't really know who's going to listen to this in all fairness and uh we'll kind of perhaps for the first you know few episodes not go too crazy straight away but like can you just try and give people a little overview of quite what when we say you know we're playing with people's nervous systems. You know, if you do a pranayama practice, if you do a breathwork practice, if you do, you know, a yoga practice, whatever, you know, meditation, even all of that stuff, it's con well, everything is playing with our nervous system, but you know, 
in your from your perspective like how does that sit what do you what do you mean when you say that just so people have an idea question with i know sorry you're not in any rush are you (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if that's a soft lob or a drill but um, (laughs) you know at its essence um and this might sound so simple but this is this is the essential truth of it right breath automatically follows the brain usually it doesn't um it doesn't require our participation or our voluntary effort. It's going to follow metabolic demands or psychological demands. Um, Meaning if we're afraid, we're going to breathe faster. Our CO2 sensor fire alarm pulls and it changes our breath rate. Um, So whether you're running up a hill or afraid of something that you've just seen, a sound, a bump in the night, your breath is following the nervous system. Now, when you override that with voluntary breath control of any nature, you are now breathing in a way that affects your entire metabolic system and nervous system, right? So you're, you're no longer just breathing in response to metabolic demands or psychological demands. You're imposing your will on that breath, which means that you're either going to be creating, um, you know, like, like in the skill of stress, I talk about the elements of breath, the inhale being sympathetic in nature, focusing, arousing, awakening, heartbeats faster on the inhale, exhale, deactivating, calming, um, pauses, uh, intentional voluntary pauses, creating that prefrontal cortex, calm, voluntary control, um, a little different than breath holding, which pushes the edges of your tolerance, right? But all of these voluntary um, imposed patterns on the breathing have direct implications in the way that you sense and feel and direct patterning. How we breathe is how we start to think and feel, right? So if you're over breathing all day, just autonomically without any thought to it, you're going to pattern anxiety. If you, um, try to affect that through deep pranayama practices that create overbreathing. it's not going to make you feel better. Right? Yeah. You're actually yeah, pushing it. on those windows of tolerance. You're either pushing on the recovery end to deepen yeah. your energy reserves, or you're pushing on the upper edge to widen your tolerance to stress. And if you mismanage those edges, you can actually um, diminish your window of tolerance and create more, uh, room for living in the margins of anxiety, depression, avoidance. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. I love that. Um, I was, I know I was kind of chatting with you prior, like sort of yesterday. Um, I've been having a, a discussion, shall we say on, um, on an Instagram post from the, uh, health and human performance foundation post around, a, um, uh, hyperventilating, hyperventilation. Mm-hmm. And essentially the paper was saying hyperventilation in a chronic state is a bad thing. And here's why, which was, we all kind of, yep, that's kind of, we understand, hopefully most people do. If you don't, then um, go look it up or come just, (laughs) just look at all my Instagram posts, all I post about um, or Emily's. Um, But we understand that chronic hyperventilation is a bad thing. And so that's what the whole article was about. And then some chap popped up on there and said, well, yeah, that's all true. But we can't forget that, you know, deliberate hyperventilation can also be an amazing tool for for trauma recovery and bits and pieces. I might be getting those words a bit wrong, but that's that's pretty much what he was saying. 
Mm-hmm. And then I kind of decided to reply because I was feeling like that kind of in that mood. Um, and I wrote a bit of an essay. Uh, mixing it up. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's I do find it's a really good way to challenge my knowledge and make sure I do actually understand what I think. But anyway, so I kind of dived in and I explained how as a nurse and my experience of using, because I used to use breath work in A&E for people who were kind of couldn't settle you know you're trying to get a cannula in you're trying to get bloods anything like this i would use breath work cool Mm -hmm. calming slow breath work and you'd get them into a much more parasympathetic state and it would give you as you've kind of said the headroom to then allow you to get on with what you need to do so i went training ground in the world right exactly medical needs you learn really quickly how to help somebody breathe it's so important it's so important Um, unfortunately i do think that there's a a lack of understanding within the nhs which is obviously one of the reasons why i left being a nurse um but i kind of went into this whole thing and then he replied and basically and i and i said that there was a place and a time for hyperventilation practices and i practice them myself sometimes not a lot i will be honest but i do use them at times when i feel i need them but I and I said the problem is there's too many people seeing that it's really fucking cool on Instagram, doing Wim Hof breathing. Oh, you know, people. I don't know if I'll get in trouble, but Wim Hof people. I'm sure some of them will disagree if they've listened if they listen to this. But you know, Wim Hof, whatever other you know, whether it be Sadashan Kriyas or whether it be, I don't know, I've sam skelly i've kind of as a name i've heard banded about of late and you know these all these practices which are really sympathetic driving practices and basically i said there's a time and place in it, but for most people in society right now it's the last thing they really need is we actually need to be able to deal with the physiological problems i.e mm-hmm. over breathing kind of poor uh, kind of baroreflex sensitivity, poor kind of chemoreceptor sensitivity, all of these bits and pieces, that needs to be sorted out first. And we need to be able to allow a body to have room of adaptation to then chuck in something perhaps stronger and whatever yeah, else. Yeah, exactly. Yep. It's a and sharp, that, sharp tool. It's a sharp and I got it and, then, and I got an answer back, basically something along the lines of um, that I was being irresponsible with like, this post because actually hyperventilation is an amazing tool for like unblocking past traumas and letting things go and resetting the body and all this kind of stuff which we said at the beginning we wanted to get into physiology of stuff and so my reply has been let's talk physiology um, essentially right because to a certain practice is really important and not getting attached to your breakthrough as something that everybody else needs to experience. Yeah. The understanding physiology first, which I love David Bidler's name of his company for that reason, right? Physiology first. (laughs) Like this isn't about um, a certain method being the answer. This is about some principles that underlie all human beings, nervous systems, and how breath impacts that. Now, this guy might have some amazing experiences to share. Good on him. That's fantastic. And Wim Hof, I love that guy. Yeah, he is he's a maniac. Ball. I love it. He's, a maniac. he's amazing. And he's done a lot of good. 
Um, but it is time now that breath is at this tipping point. It is time to back up and make sure that all of us are remembering to learn. Keep learning from each other. Keep understanding what's at the root of this. Because experientially, I have stories every week, literally almost every week from people who have had um, very negative responses to super hyperventilation practices like the ones that you mentioned. Um, and I've also heard lots of cool stories about these breakthroughs, but from my experience personally and in 20 years of working with people who've had chronic states of anxiety, a lot of it rooted in childhood uh, trauma or combat trauma with veterans or frontline mm. workers, in our physiology, that diaphragm, it's a bracing muscle, right? It is a primary bracing muscle. Before it's used for respiration, it will brace. So there are a lot of people out there walking around over breathing with a braced diaphragm unconsciously. That muscle is bracing for a suspected impact. It's trained to feel on alert all the time. And so this chicken and egg thing starts to happen where they're over breathing that causes you to see the world through a lens of sympathetic, uh, chronic stress. And then it cascades from there. Right. Um, yeah. start to carve. Like I've got a, a guy who reached out to me, who went to the airport. He was narrow window of tolerance, chronic, high, sympathetic anxiety, not sleeping well, binging on sugar and Netflix, like really struggling to get his body under control and his mind was running wild. He went to the airport. This is pre COVID actually. Um, so it's, it's been a year and a couple months since I met with him, he went to the airport to take a flight, tried a super ventilation practice that he had seen online. And he had a full blown panic attack in the airport had to be taken was not, did not get on his flight. Right. And now he has a new fear of flying. So it's important for us all to recognize that how we breathe creates how we feel and how we feel in a certain environment will, will then carve neural patterns and associations with what we are seeing around us. If you have a panic attack in the grocery store, while you're over breathing in a mask, you might carve an association with the mask or with crowds, start judging. Or grocery store. Grocery store, exactly. And, and that's the way we're wired by design. So yeah. Wim Hof is that all those practices, and I love them too. I just always teach that it's a very sharp blade and you don't want to use it incorrectly. Um, no. no, not at all. And I think, you know, one of the things that, the way I kind of look at exactly what you've said and you've kind of alluded to it. And if we look at the physiology of, of that sympathetic state of being anxious, of being really kind of, you know, flipped lid as kind of you kind of mentioned in your skills of stress type thing, and you're constantly over breathing and you you've blown off, you've chronically long-term blown off so much CO2 that you end up like the smallest little exercise means that you have to breathe heavier through your mouth. The smallest little physical, like, sorry, emotional, mental stress makes you over breathe even more kind of autonomically. And so doing a practice that is, and I'm kind of, I'm bashing on about this bloke and like whatever, you know, who I was having the chat with, but you know, some, a practice, which is, 
hyperventilation in uh, in nature is going to blow off more carbon dioxide. Yeah, than is being produced. Than is being produced. So we are already we collectively are in a sympathetic state. We are in a place where our tolerance of carbon dioxide is shit. Mm -hmm. So then we go and go, well, actually, I've been told that doing this, this Wim Hof, this hyperventilation, superventilation, whatever you want to call it, is going to be amazing for my stress, for my anxieties, for whatever else. I'm going to go, and <laughs> all of a sudden I've blown off lots of carbon dioxide again. And yeah, I can then hold my breath for three minutes because I've got, got any carbon dioxide to trigger me to breathe. But I haven't in any way then learned to tolerate as you guys at shift call it the stress molecule we've in no way learnt to deal with the physiology of when we've out of this blissed state from where we've just gone into a severe hypoxia i.e for those of you who don't know what it means i.e we've got oxygen we've got zero ox well bugger all oxygen basically the oxygen levels have gone right down and you get this super trippy super like dreamlike super like lightheaded tingly tingly yeah. people pass out quite often and again that's more conversations i've had on instagram of people going oh yeah i pass out all the time um <laughs> but um but you're, from you're from a, tr a temporary buzz yeah exactly but and then from the long term actually dealing with the the ability to cope with a stress i.e an increase in carbon dioxide this kind of metabolic need You've, you've done no work towards that. Whereas- Well, yeah. Yeah, that's so, it's so on the money, right? You can create this temporary buzz and bliss. It's really just excessive calcium and new red blood cells being created and right. Yeah. So you can use that state as Wim Hof has done so brilliantly to then expose yourself to cold or some other stressor like hiking Kilimanjaro in the elements. In your pants. And yeah, and it's incredible, <laughs> right? So you, you can apply this tool to create specific adaptations in that state. When we start talking trauma healing, the problem with it is that um, trauma lives in the body in a different way. And in my experience, if somebody has uh, unresolved trauma that's patterning some of this sympathetic overdrive or that's resulting in avoidance and parasympathetic freeze states of depression and lethargy um, over breathing on purpose super ventilating of any kind dynamic breath work uh, can induce a panic attack as i've shared i actually hear about that all the time yeah um, so not only then are you carving a negative uh, you're not adapting to anything, right? You're actually blowing yourself out. But even if you do successfully, you know, play with it and get a new max round of breath holds or um, push-ups when you're under that hypoxic state, um, whatever you do, you're th those kinds of uh, that kind of edge work, as you just said so well, does little to help you address the psychological aspects and the felt sense um, of trauma and how it shows up in your life. Like you could, I've worked with soft guys, special forces guys. I do exposure work and breath work with, and um, yes, it's satisfying to push it and hold your breath and be in the cold for long times. And I use some of these skills to help create some buy-in with a lot of care 
you know, we yeah. do, we, yeah. I don't use it on everybody. Um, but what I'm getting at is that it doesn't help them. If you don't do it right, it doesn't help them later to not have a, a trauma reaction to, or a triggered activation reaction to, you know, the sound of, um, you know, a car backfiring that sounds yep. like a gun or an explosion or crowds or a certain smell of burning plastic or trash that reminds them of deployment. Like yep. those little sensory triggers in the limbic brain, just because we induce this amazing super ventilation response and we get a buzz and we can adapt to cold or whatever, yeah, yeah. we get this amazing satisfying release doesn't mean that we've um, skilled reskilled ourselves in how to get the diaphragm to function properly, to relax, to dissipate the more subtle layers of trauma that are held. Um, that requires more sensing and being to, to be with those areas and help uh, consciously release them in my work. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly where I come from as well. With a lot of my work, you know, I'm being referred people quite often these days, many who have done some other breathing things and you know a lot of them being super ventilation who are then kind of being sort of wigged out a bit and end up coming to me um and you know again i'm gonna go back to it just because it's another point which you know is how i how i work i guess but like the in that kind of comment you know the guy you know i'd said taking a cool calming subtle soft quiet breath work is how i've had you know that's how i've kind of worked with people and that's given for one this it's allowed a tolerance of carbon dioxide to be built so i.e we're kind of building that headspace but then it's allowed for this as you've kind of just said that kind of sensed embodiment of understanding the triggers and the the awareness and all of that it's kind of the stuff which everyone avoids if if you like do you know what i mean yeah. it's kind of that's the stuff which you don't if you do a super ventilation practice to me in my experience from it i'm mainly talking but you get buzzed out you get blissed you kind of get this cool and you and it's really a strong practice so therefore you're doing something other than being yes truly yeah. in and in and with yourself does that make sense absolutely yeah and i look dynamic holotropic there there's some very cool practices that i know people have really had breakthroughs with so i don't want to take that away from mm. anybody i think it's amazing but you know in the skill of stress i start with read state before regulate for exactly this reason you got to be able to read your own body and your own mm. state before you apply a breath protocol. And if we're not teaching people to read uh, things like diaphragm bracing, you know, if your diaphragm is braced and your monkey mind's flipping out everywhere and you're tunnel visioned, hmm, maybe not the day to like induce a hypoxic state, right? Yeah. More of it. I've got a firefighter I'm working with who, um, I love these guys because when they find a practice that they want to commit to, they're going to do it, right? Yeah. So he yeah. committed to, um, hyperventilation practice for 30 days. And he's on day like 25 and he reached out because he feels like shit, you know, <laughs> like it's not quote working. And it, so it was so good at the beginning. The, it was so good at the beginning. Right. And this is a great 
uh, way to develop an understanding for people who might be listening that want to share their, their breakthrough experiences with other people. It's like, um, it's the principles underneath this stuff, not the method, right? Mm-hmm. The method for him, he was devoted to a 30 day practice and he didn't want to quit. So what we looked at was, okay, what are the results? Well, his breath hold times have gotten worse in 25 days. His CO2 tolerance has gotten worse. He wears a whoop band. So he's seeing his heart rate variability drop. His resting heart rate is rising. This is a person who's chronically stressed, exposed to trauma often and sleep deprived. He does not need a daily super ventilation practice to tick the box. So it took some grit, right? For me to say, yeah, right. you're not failing by changing course. Don't grip like a bulldog to the 30 day practice or the method, like mm-hmm. commit to your practice. Your practice needs to start with reading state. Let's read your state. Let's look at the data. Okay. Now we're going to regulate. And then I was able to redesign his practice for the next five days to actually regulate and widen his window of tolerance. And then we're going to get him a new baseline to start looking at where he's activated in his trauma because he has some, we all do. Right. Yeah. 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 And that's what, and actually, like you were saying there, having that whoop strap, having the ability, I mean, I've, you know, I've, I'm lucky off the wife got me one. Um, But it's one of those things of, for me, I don't really use it as uh, I I think it's, I, I love it. Like it's cool to be able to, see what the heart rate very but that's all stuff i've always been doing with my own check-in type thing but for for many people who aren't in that place who read their state regularly actually having that data having those data points to kind of go look i i'm telling you this is probably not really working for you but look you can look at all of your data marks and you can see that over the 25 days you've just been going been yeah, you've been going in the wrong direction. So it's not yeah. just my perspective of actually, I don't think this is really, you know, you you could do, this would be a better one for you. It's not as big and sexy, but it's not, exactly. you know, and actually you can kind of go, well, look, all of these points, let's, let's see if we can get them to go up with some soft, calm, quiet, cooling stuff or whatever it might be. And then we can go from there. Yeah. And I'm, um, yeah. It's yeah. not sexy. That's the problem. Is that exactly. It's, it's, it's shit sexy. on Instagram. It's really fun. It's like <laughs> way more fun to induce some tingles and measure your some breath. Passing outs and yeah. And yeah. I love cold exposure. I love yeah, me, yeah, yeah. That I I am so uh, happy that I have a way. You know, at the end of the day, we're talking about inducing stress yep. to induce some adaptations. Mm-hmm. You're not going to adapt if you're blowing out of your window of tolerance. Um, what are you wanting to adapt to really? Like what, what kind of outcomes are you really looking for? Because, you know, exercise, cold exposure, Wim Hof, all kinds of other dynamic breathing, holotropic breathing, even psychedelics, these tools can be escape. Mm. Just escape. Yep. If they're not applied with intention and guidance and that reading your own body first, like where am I starting from? And where do I actually need to go to mm. feel better, be better? Right. I think for me, like I've, so I obviously I'm, we haven't really mentioned the shift thing at all. I guess um, I came across you via um, the shift adapt kind of guys and the site, 
and you had done a is it called releasing trauma webinar was that what it was uh, called or beyond trauma beyond trauma that's it yeah it was the beyond trauma webinar and because i'm a member like the webinars are recording you can watch them so i kind of watched it not live and then and i was like oh my god like it just that's how we this whole thing started really because you just yeah. like click but the thing i love about the work that you guys do at shift is exactly what you've just kind of said two or three times in your last couple of monologues was like it's all about the principles it's all about let's get let physiology first let's go back to that like let's get the principles down pat and actually you know so i you know at one point i did my oxygen advantage training and i've kind of studied with patrick two or three times kind of doing those which is cool and i really i do really like it and there's some really really useful tools in it but again again that's kind of then almost gone the other way of you know there's no stepping things up essentially mm -hmm. there's no super ventilation there's no um you know i don't know gears as you kind of you know you guys use them at shift like the the breath gears and things like that so when I started following Brian and you and Rob and like listening to you and it was just kind of like, ah, oh, this is there's room for all of it. Th there's yeah. room for all of it. And actually, and yeah. actually all of this stuff, which Patrick teaches, which, and you know, that guy knows his shit, like Patrick McEwen, yeah, like guy. he properly yeah. knows his shit, but you know, he's kind of coming from a potato background and actually he's really like open about his, you know, that was what his training is for so many years. And it does, influence obviously you know it's kind of difficult for that stuff if you've been doing it for 25 years not to constantly um influence you but when you suddenly begin to understand the principles of a practice of of the physiology of what you're trying to do with a breath hold you know whether it be a breath hold at the top of your breath or a breath hold at the bottom of your breath you know yeah. whichever kumbhaka you're kind of trying to do in a yoga term or whether you're trying to inhale really hard and then exhale really soft or inhale really short and exhale really long understanding your physiology as you said in one of your first speeches, like you know you breathe in it speeds things up you breathe out it slow things down that get beginning to get a basic understanding of that stuff even just that on its own can be mind-blowing and game-changing if you're someone who can watch themselves and go holy fuck i'm breathing really fast yeah okay yeah. if i'm what breathing really fast moving, right? what can i what can i do for that yeah there's room for all of it the gear the gears that those cats have coined and developed plus kind of the work that I've done with window of tolerance training, yeah. pranayama patterns, like deep, deep grooves of breath control and breath manipulation over time to create different states, right? Yeah. When we kind of put our work together, what I love about it is we've got a framework for people to take it where they want to go. There's yeah. no wrong. It's like, yeah, if you are flooded out and on the couch and you're not feeling life run through you anymore. Like we need to, we need to help you read that and understand where you are without any moral judgment to it. Like this is a natural part of the human condition. Here's how you can meet the breath skillfully to start to wake things up, to mm. feel alive again. And yeah, there might be like sympathetic practices that are appropriate so we teach it all and, and try to scale it and progress it.
so that people can, yeah, exactly what you said, like nail down this sense of their own physiology so that they're the active participants. They're not just being told to do something and then, you know, promising outcomes from that. It's, it's a practice. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, that's kind of one of the things I, yeah, I mean, I, I, you guys, I can pretty much listen to you, like you three, whatever you're doing. Do you know what I mean? Like I've, I've literally just been walking the dogs and it's been smashing like the last four episodes of Brian and Rob's like little yeah, podcast they do, man, fun. they just fucking make me die. It's just like, <laughs> just like the most inane conversations, but there's so much gold in it as well. There's so much kind of, I mean, yeah, their, their, their knowledge base is pretty, pretty solid. So um, yeah. it's, it's always good to pick up on. Um, but yeah, um, you've mentioned a couple of times about some of your work with vets and I'd kind of love to pick up on that in just a, a few minutes if possible. Cause I know you work with a bunch of people from the UK and like, it'd be really interesting to kind of perhaps dive into some of the PTSD Mm -hmm. a little bit i know that's obviously a huge fucking subject but um and you know yeah we'll yeah we'll just we'll just nip into that that'll be fine um but um i guess before we dive that i kind of just want to uh go into a little bit when we were just talking about some of that stuff and i guess the physiology of breathing and you know ways in which we can control uh, maybe control I'll, I'll use that word for now um if another better word comes up i'll i'll change it uh, i won't because i can't be bothered to edit that kind of shit out or this but um so obviously we kind of where i mean certainly my practice and i'm pr- probably fairly certain in yours kind of nasal breathing is you know the go-to starting place in many ways to kind of try to re-regulate things a bit um just I know I'm sure most people have heard me bang on about it enough, but just briefly um, from your perspective around physiology and whatever else, taking a a bit of a a nasal breathing practice, even if that's just where you were to start, Mm. what's kind of your, your thoughts and whatever else in and around that? Um, Well, I can combine that with the work I do with veterans really beautifully because a lot of, you know, I work with challenge Aspen military opportunities that's um, the longest standing group that I've worked with since 2005, I think. Oh. And before that, in 2003, I was working with several um, private clients that were part of Challenge Aspen's ecosystem. And these are people who've been um, through paralysis or visual impairment. Um, I had a young man high on the autism spectrum who I actually was his breath coach back in 2000. I don't even remember when, but you know, kind of learning from people that have physical and cognitive challenges or chronic pain um, and combat trauma to apply breath and somatic techniques to, again, participate with their own body. Um, And that has had all kinds of tremendous outcomes from helping a lot of people I've worked with have reduced medication dependencies, Mm. Um, not because medications are all bad, but because now they have another way to regulate state that actually has really good side effects. And one of those side effects is they learn how to read what their body needs in real time and, you know, either reduce dosage with the help of their doctor, right? I'm not a doctor. So yeah, yeah. I always preface that with like, Hey, this is your body. Here's one other way that you can engage with it. Um, 
So with the nasal breathing, because I work with a lot of pain and anxiety and depression, um, I always uh, kind of coyote teach it um, through experience. And I give people a lot of permission to exhale through the mouth and uh, teach the gear system early. So they understand that they're not bad or wrong. If that mm. pressure valve is there and they need to off gas, like here's why you're feeling that. And let's explore that. You can either nice. create that sensation metabolically by turning uphill and going as fast as you can, or, you know, we can sit here and breathe that way without even thinking about anything. And you'll start to overbreathe, right? We can induce yeah. it, or we can think about a past, um, trauma activation. We can, we can go get in a crowd or into some cold to induce that breathing. Right. So I teach the gears and then I love teaching how, um, at least on the nasal inhale, that suction and pressure allows us to fill the lungs in the lower um, cavity of the lung tissue and how intelligent that tissue is that just by moving horizontally with the lower ribs with nasal breathing, especially, or at least on the inhale, we are changing the chemical nature of shallow rapid breathing where that lower lung tissue is dripping hormones that are cooling and calming melatonin, tryptophan, dopamine, serotonin. And like the lights go on to realize like, remember all those little white pills that are sitting or blue pills, whatever color, like that are just not blue ones, not over here. Uptake, <laughs> yeah, just trying to get you to uptake some serotonin. I got free drugs for you in your nasal breath, right? This is, yeah. this is a free way to change your state. Um, and we make it really experiential. Um, I love our archery program for that reason, because the bow does a lot of the work for me. Definitely want to touch on that one, because that's something which I keep seeing you doing. And man, it makes me, I really want to go and shoot an arrow, shoot some bows wow. and arrows. Dude, you're a punk rocker. I can't believe you haven't. I know. <laughs> Oh, no, ridiculous. It's such a punk activity but when i go to the range i see a bunch of you guys out there yeah it's, i think the uk is probably a bit different you guys are you know you're a bit more outdoorsy than 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 us over in the uk uh so with that because i know obviously and i guess this is um uh you know it's probably why in many ways but there's a whole kind of zen practice of zen archery which in many ways probably is exactly physiologically what you what you're doing with the archery and with your kind of clients well the bow enforces it it demands it you know and it's marksmanship so for working with veterans it's a really fun powerful way to light up parts of the body and brain in something that we want to be doing mm -hmm. you know and i think that that's a huge part of healing it's finding something, it doesn't have to be archery, right? But finding something that you like to physically do that invites and hopefully demands the breath, right? <clears throat> Some because, sorry, just, just briefly, because if you're just, we're going to, I'm going to tease it out of you, but like with the breath and archery, I'm going to assume, I think I know anyway, but I'll assume like if you've got no fucking breath control, if your breath is all over the shot, like if you're, sharp shallow kind of auxiliary muscle breathing like you just haven't got a hope in hell of going anywhere near target yeah yeah i mean look it's um it's a present time risky thing you're holding a weapon you're drawing back this 
pressure and force against this arrow that's a weapon. It's a it's a hunting weapon and it it can slay foam or straw, but it can hurt people. Even if you misfire that the the string can hit your arm and create a pretty strong welt. Like so I love it because uh, you know it's gonna invite present time embodiment and awareness. You gotta wake up, you gotta show up. And if you're not organizing your breath, then just the physical act of holding tension in the bow and then the brain activity of creating a sight picture and having a calm um, shot process goes out the window. So the breath doesn't lie. If you're not organizing your breath and managing your oxygen and your nervous system, you're going to have shakes. You're going to have a blurry sight picture. You're going to be nervous and and force the shot instead of release it. Um, And any little uh, imposition, uh, you know, a twitch, a a nervous system gripping, like tension in the front hand shows up in the shot. You actually have to have like relaxed tension and presence with breath control to achieve a successful shot. Yeah. So it's just been the biggest gift for my own meditation and training. And yeah, um, I I love it. I do remember even before, like I was ever into any of this, when I used to, I used to be a an air cadet so like the air force cadets type thing and um you did yeah 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 i was about what i do like four years of that or something um i was nearly going to join the forces at one point and then i went to new zealand became a bit of a bum instead but um uh but we used to obviously shoot like two twos on the uh in the rifle range um i think there were two twos anyway i could be wrong i can't really remember it's like 20 years ago but the it was or even then like the control of the breath so you know it's kind of you you take the shot like at the end of your exhale you know it's like and you kind of feel that calm that cool that stillness and then it and then you pull the trigger um and it's it's funny isn't it you kind of think such a potentially aggressive dangerous practice Mm -hmm. in in many wrong hands but actually it's a it's quite a, a tool to to teach that side of presence yeah. of, of calm of quiet of stillness yeah and not just for the sake of it yeah it's yeah. just a hard sell right? yeah yeah and and if you sell it that way you're often tying it to being fucked up like you know you need to chill out you need yeah, to yeah. yoga studio and listen to this chick and figure yeah. out how to, like no let's go have some fun and let's be outside and let's yeah. set up you know and there's always every day is different you know sometimes personally my practice is is feels great and then another day you know i can't shoot from 40 in a way that i'm happy but isn't that just an exact isn't that isn't that like a perfect uh analogy for like you know your co2 tolerance your general headspace from a day-to-day basis for you know I get people who are doing breath work with me and they get really like, I get messages saying they're like how fucking annoyed they are because they have, um, I don't know, like yesterday their CO2 tolerance was 52 and it had been going in the right direction for the, like, the last two weeks. And then all of a sudden, you know, today and it's back down to 40 and it's kind of like, well, how did you sleep? And it was like, oh, yeah. I had a fucking terrible night's sleep. And, you know, the, the baby was up or, you know, 
<clears throat> I just, whatever it might be, you know, my back was playing. And it's kind of like, well, that stuff is going to affect your nervous system. Like that stuff is going to have an immediate response to how you respond to everything. Yeah. It's a and, new moment, right? Today yeah. is a new moment. And we can't really attach ourselves to outcomes. The data is fun and it's a great teaching tool, right? But yeah. having a practice. Good for buy-ins, yeah. Yeah, like it's great. And it has its downfall, of course. Like people get super attached to it. But um, I love what you're bringing forward there because, yeah, it's just like life. And it's it's like people I've talked to that are into pottery. You know, some days they can center. Yeah. They fall <laughs> yeah. It's all over the place. And yeah, that's um, amazing flinging all over the studio so it's like you have to just really to have something that is real that has some risk involved to wake us up to the moment um you know for me that used to be rivers i think medical work can be like that i know it has its uh difficulties and emotional you know trauma to see people suffering um but what i liked about my brief time working the ambulance was similarly it's like you don't step into the same river twice. It's a new day and yep. you got to show up with what you've got and do your best and learn from it. Move yep. on. <laughs> like yeah. don't attach to outcomes is huge. Well, I think in the, in the medical world, certainly we, um, <clears throat> you kind of, you certainly learn just a bit of a sense of humor with some of that as a way to kind of, you know, yeah. laugh something off. And then that kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, these two things. Like I was read in my class last night that, um, or this morning, I think it might have been that Alan Watts once said that uh, much of the secret of life consists of knowing how to laugh and also how to breathe, which to me was Ooh. like perfect. Do you know what I mean? How can you laugh and can you breathe? If you can do those two things. If things are going shit, you can still have a laugh. And if you can, you know, if things are going well, your breath is going to be probably perfect, I guess. So um, he just delivers. He just delivers. Yeah. Um, well, I wish that I had the, uh, you know, speaking of that humor that I know you guys in the hospital develop and these frontline people too, you know, it's amazing the camaraderie and the sick humor that you need to get by, but it's in, in the right place, right? It's coming from the right place. I just, um, yeah. But you Brits and my UK veterans that I work with have me on my heels all the time. I can't keep up. They're so fun. It's like a, it's like a DNA thing over there. Like there's just so have you much. See, have you seen our weather? Giving. Yeah, that's what it like, is. We've got no fucking choice. You've got to have like a, a dark sense of humor and constantly doing something. Just when you're living in like nine months of perpetual gray, like. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. It's something in the water, something in the weather, but uh, there is such a, it's so fun to kind of get saturated in culture like that, you know, and the Blesma are they, they call themselves the limbless veterans of the UK. So right, cool. Blesma is the group and they are, you know, from Scotland and all over, you know, Wessex and England yep. and Wales and everywhere. And they, I've never been there. So um, you got to, as soon as, as soon as lockdown's come. over, you need to come over and we'll, we'll go for some van life. Let's do a van tour. You meet some of these unbelievable yeah, beings that I've been getting to know through Blesma that have been, you know, enduring this COVID with some unique circumstances. Some of them mm. have really high needs and they're all either amputees or have complete loss of use of certain limbs. 
Um, and so, yeah, having that camaraderie and humor. Yeah. I think that that's, that's what I'm most looking forward to as things open up from COVID is like, we need each other, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We all need each other. Most of the healing I see in these veterans groups doesn't come from anything that I'm doing because I'm not, it's just, I'm just showing them some tricks with their body yeah. that they can practice, but it comes from them, you know, being together, being seen, being understood. I think that's it's profound. Acknowledgement is profound. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest things. I mean, I was actually, I can't, I'm not gonna be able to remember it, but I've, I'm working my way through, um, uh, why zebras don't get ulcers by Robert Sapolsky at the moment, sort of which is obviously all stress and you know how uh, you know our corticosteroids, glucocorticoids, and all that stuff, all of these you know cor- uh, cortisol, how that's affecting us. And there's a whole chunk of it about uh, community and you know and just the stress of isolation and whatever else. And yeah, you know, I think hopefully you know perhaps this is where like we said at the beginning like the work we do on online on instagram and stuff like that and hopefully you know minus the big and sexy if you can make people get it and see it is actually there's some as hard as some of these times are at least there is some tools that people can use and and begin to implement to you know we are finally now just coming out of lockdown ish um the pubs are open today so that's all the brits are happy the pubs are open but yeah yeah i know <laughs> um but you know prior to that you know having some tools to and and as you've kind of gone into like being able to read your own state and then having those tools in isolation to go okay this is how i feel but i can then use a bunch of these bits and pieces that i've learned to kind of to hopefully adapt to fit a physiological um change to to re re-educate your state i guess or re restate yourself Um, yeah it's an opportunity yeah man for sure um so i've kind of just started doing this at the end of these things um by all means like you know tell me to fuck off and say you don't want to do it because i forgot to tell you i was going to ask you to do it um but um it's a good job like everyone knows if they listen to my podcast i swear an awful lot so it's all good um but you like have you can you off can you like simple uh relatively quick a a simple tool that perhaps someone can take away and just begin to i don't know feel their state or begin to you know downshift up you know something that would be relatively open to all but just something that yeah. they can perhaps take away um one of my favorite practices is just i call it the reset technique and it involves just finishing an exhale and listening for the next breath and it's a great way to reset the internal chemistry of your breathing and to start participating with breath control and awareness without a heavy hand, right? So it's a great teaching tool. So rather than taking a big breath, you just kind of receive the inhale, give the exhale all the way to the bottom and then reset, just listen there. And the inhale might come right away or it might, you might just feel all of a sudden an awareness that it's really nice to be empty. Like Mm -hmm. 
So you're not forcing a pause. You're just listening. Yeah. That's one of my favorites. So the just normal inhale. Yep. And then exhaling out. Now just listen. Inhale might come right away. But can you actually engage with this incredible moment that you're given a breath and then receive it like the gift that it is because you engaged with its arrival? What you get, what I got, I mean, one of the things that's so easy to notice with that is <laughs> that lateral expansion. Mm -hmm. like when it, just, just when you're suddenly not forcing, when you're not, it's just all of a sudden your, your body goes, oh, I'll just draw from here nice yeah 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 because nice. you're receiving right the paradox there not taking a breath just yeah be there for it because yeah yeah i like that i'll uh, i'll remember that one <laughs> amazing right well that's it um the rest what I reckon we'll, we'll, that's kind of oh. just probably just over the hour so we'll i'm trying not to get people to be too bored too quickly on these later down the line i plan on like good four hour kind of uh kind of joe rogan style like oh man i'm glad you got me in here early then <laughs> <laughs> i i want i want to make sure that the, we kind of do the uh when they get to four hours we're doing it face to face so we can do it with like you know whiskey and uh and food and whatnot yeah. but um yeah Oh, I look forward to the, the time we're all together face to face. And in the meantime, we can um, share on Insta and beyond. And totally so getting, getting the words and the voices out. With that in mind, I just need you to tell everyone where they can find you. Okay. So uh, I'm a teacher at shift shiftadapt.com. I have the skill of stress course there and I teach neuro nidra there um and elsewhere but that's that's really the hub of my work is at shift um and my uh instagram handle is intrinsic underscore way and i'm gonna put all of this in the notes anyway so just but just yeah. so people can hear it there you go um, sweet um amazing well thank you for that i loved it it was kind of super chill and relaxed so um I definitely recommend you guys go and check Emily's work in the neuronedral stuff because um, most of you, if you've ever practiced me, you know I like teaching uh, yoga nidra too. Uh, Emily's got some great, which we didn't even touch on, which we could do next time, I guess, but some great stuff around kind of the neuroscience and whatnot of yoga nidra. So they're really freaking cool. So go and check those out. Um, and then her skills of stress work is amazing as well. So definitely, definitely, definitely go and check those out and go follow her on Instagram because she's rad and we'll, mm. she'll definitely say hi, especially if you say I sent you. So um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, cool. Well, thank you so much, Emily. And I can't wait to catch up soon. Likewise. Thanks. Wibs. Cheers. Bye.